I've had dogs. You have? Doggy Chow. Oh, I used to love Doggy Chow. <laughs> I used to love Doggy Chow too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Girl Blogger, the podcast. I'm Brett Collins. Oh, another week. Yeah, my computer, like, broke last week. I think my cat did it. I just woke up one day and the screen was black and then I had to take it to the godforsaken genius bar with all of the geeky Apple people and I don't I feel like they didn't even really look into it. They like quoted me and it was just like way too much and annoying, but whatever. That's why I didn't do an episode last week. Here we are, a much more important episode. Oh, Jesus Christ. And just like that it's come to an end or it actually hasn't come to an end because as we know yesterday I believe or maybe it was two days ago it was announced that somehow this show has gotten a renewal for a season three how the fuck does this show have a season three like everybody's just been bitching about it however obviously the ratings are there because we all bitch about it but then we all watch it it's like this show is such a mess but I could talk about it like on repeat until the day I die. I just can't stop obsessing over how awful it is. And it's funny because I feel like so many people, probably the majority of viewers have that same reaction of they're just hate watching it and they do, they like have to watch it immediately, but we're all kind of in agreement that it's the worst show on earth. It's just so fascinating. Like there should be a psychology study created about like the human reaction to and just like that and just like the inner conflict that conspires when somebody watches this show it's just fascinating it's truly fascinating okay so first and foremost so this episode is going to be all about and just like that specifically the finale the last supper that was split into two parts like it's some quentin tarantino movie or something but it was and before we get into it i have to bring up fucking Che Diaz, a.k.a. Saba Ramirez, and their recent Instagram post that just, if there was any, I mean, we all know Che Diaz sucks, but if there was any doubt that Sara Ramirez does not suck, that doubt, I mean, I just, I don't, I, whatever I was going to say didn't come out quite right, but basically Sara Ramirez sucks as well. Just sucks just as much as Che. And that is confirmed when they did a post yesterday in response to a the cut article that was written about them on june or it was published on june 20th okay so anyway for those who haven't read it i suggest you do there was an article written about sara ramirez and kind of the reflection on che diaz um uh in the cut like so the publication the cut you can just look it up online it was published on june 20th and a journalist named Brock Collar was who wrote it. And Brock themselves identifies as non-binary. So clearly they that was intentional. You know, they felt they wanted people to be on equal playing fields. So they had a non-binary person interviewing a non-binary person. So isn't that just fantastic? Anyway, the article is really great. It um, It's very subtle in its intentions. 
because clearly Brock, the journalist, went into it having viewed and just like that well aware of all the backlash Shade Diaz got. And you could tell that they were very curious as to how Sada felt about the character, felt about the backlash, and kind of wanted like, you know, a firsthand account of like, oh, is Sada in on the joke? Are they not? Are they super upset? Are they offended? Do they not care? Like, what's their reaction to the Che reaction? And basically, <laughs> uh, it's just like, no, Sada's not in on the joke. They take themselves extremely seriously and really don't have a sense of humor, even though they later say they do, which I'll get into. But my favorite parts of the article that really kind of capture everything is Brock goes to Che, or not, not Che, Sada, but I mean, they're kind of interchangeable if you ask me, and is basically like, okay, so this character, there's definitely some influence. How much of the character is you? And this is a direct quote from the article. It says, It might feel natural to make such comparisons in your head, but Ramirez heads them off, assuring me I'm an actor. I'm not the characters I play. I'm not Che Diaz. And for the record, this is in parentheses, uh, Ramirez's Instagram bio describes himself as uh, as abolish, abolishist. Is that even a word? And a Mexican-Irish non-binary human, which was definitely uh, noted because in the show, Che is like, I'm a Mexican non-Irish, uh, n- I'm a Mexican-Irish non-binary diva. So clearly the comparison is obvious. And Sada even notes themselves as basically the same description of the show in their Instagram, which has since been deleted. So if you go to Sara Ramirez's Instagram, it no longer says Mexican-Irish non-binary human most likely because of this article. And then another quote that really kind of stands out is at the very end of the article where Brock writes, one thing is definitely different, however, between Sour Ramirez and Che Diaz. The character has a habit, played for laughs, of lighting up in inappropriate places, office elevators, office elevators Carrie's apartment, Mr. Big's funeral, lighting up a joint, doing a ton of weed, if you will. But though I did happen to have a joint on me in the park, I didn't offer it to them. I wasn't sure they would get the joke or think it is funny. So that basically is just the taste that was left in this journalist's mouth of Sarah Ramirez. Like, they're not funny. They take themselves extremely seriously. And they're doubling down on their not being directly related to Che, which I honestly kind of understand. It's probably some sort of defense coping mechanism that Sarah Ramirez has because... Yeah, if you're hated by everyone online for about two, two, three years now, you're going to kind of probably get your defenses up. So can't blame them for that, but it's just kind of shocking to me the way it all played out because this article is not at all a hit piece. It's more of just like a clever, thought-provoking look into the real Sour Ramirez and just like it's just so surprising that the take that Sarah has on the backlash of the character and instead of poking fun at the character of Che and then at themselves instead they're just doubling down on the idea that we're all just homophobic transphobic people and that's why there's been this demise of Che Diaz and that it's not because Che's not funny or annoying or a bad person it's just like uh, it's just crazy how blind they are are 
all of them are to it. Like, not only Sara, but just everyone on the show, it seems. So, yeah, so then, even though that article was posted, you know, over a month ago, just now Sara's responding to it, maybe they just read it or something, I don't know, they're a little late to the game on that, but, uh, yeah, it just makes it very clear clear that uh, Sara really doesn't have a sense of humor, even though they say they do, and just really no willingness for self-deprecation, apparently. So, yeah. And I actually DM'd Brock, the journalist, about this. I sent them uh, the Sada Ramirez post and was like, okay, I know a million people must have sent this to you, but, like, I just have to. And I didn't think that they were going to respond to me because we don't follow each other. But then they did, and they just said something like, I'm... I'm absolutely in shock, LOL, or like something along those lines. And then they actually shared Sada's post to their story. And then they also highlighted how, like, in a weird attempt of, like, I don't even know what this means, but Sada Ramirez geotagged the post at your mom's house as if that's, like, a yo mama joke, I guess. I don't know. It's not funny. I mean, again, just exemplifying just how not funny not only Che Diaz is, but how not funny Sada Ramirez is. Sorry, I'm just, if anyone out there is, like, a fan of them and this character, like, that, you know, you do you, but, like, I'm just really such a hater. I just can't because there's just more, and there's so much redemption that could have happened. It's all just, you sh- like, Che just needs to make a joke about themselves or Sada Ramirez, whatever. I just... I just conflate them because they are the same. And it's just so weird that they can't acknowledge that. Oh, anyways, gosh, they just really suck. But, um, okay, now we get into The Last Supper and we'll do the first part first. I mean, I'm not going to, like, try to get too much into everything because this recent finale finale is probably what people care more about. I literally just watched it a little bit ago. I I watched it two times in a row, back to back, just to really absorb it and make sure I got everything but anyway here we go so the first part of the last supper appetizer is what it's called okay um I know because it's just kind of traumatic to relive all these episodes but we just do anyway watching and just like that kind of reminds me when I was super terrified of watching horror movies as a kid like I knew that watching the movie would make me like freaked out and like shaky on edge for days or even weeks after watching it but I just wanted that thrill so bad that I watched it anyway like that is what watching an episode of the show is exactly like oh okay so this first episode starts and we're at Coney Island with Carrie Aiden and Steve and Steve has some new restaurant that's kind of cute and just looks like kind of dumpy but just very Steve you know and then he's like talking in his little Steve accent Moanda and I don't know, I kind of go back and forth with his voice, and sometimes it's endearing, but then sometimes it's unsexy. But in this case, I'm thinking it's kind of endearing and actually kind of sexy. Like, I'd fuck Steve, you know, or at least blow him or something. I don't know. He's kind of hot, and, like, I'm really seeing that in this episode. And then while they're talking, Aiden gets a call from his, like, annoying son. Like, you only hear from this one son. Apparently this is the problem child. And Wyatt on the phone just gives, like, major sub bottom energy like he seems closeted gay but I can't tell if that's just like they cast like a young gay actor that isn't out of the closet like I don't know if they intentionally were like oh like Wyatt's arc is that he's gonna come out later I don't know if MPK is thinking on that level but he sounds gay the actor sounds gay and is just really annoying on the phone and kind of has like a bitchy gay 
lisp but whatever and then cut from there they whatever and miranda is like at work and i'm still not really sure what she does here like i know it's an internship but i feel like i've kind of just blocked that out because it all just seems like an odd path for miranda like why the fuck is she interning she has like three decades of serious work experience under her belt she could probably get such a vast amount of jobs and any sort of legal thing like it just seems wild like is she unpaid like i assume so but like unpaid internships everyone knows are just for privileged kids that have the ability for their parents to pay for them in their early 20s like me because i know firsthand that is what i did i worked for a swimmer brand for over a year like maybe two years when i was like 21 to 23 and i got paid nothing but you know what i got paid an experience jesus fucking christ Oh, okay, yeah, so, like, Miranda's at work, don't know why she's doing that. Oh, and then we go to Charlotte at work, which is actually way better, and this is appropriate because she also has years of work experience under her belt, so she's working at this fabulous gallery. Sam Smith comes in, kind of a random cameo. I don't know, I feel like it just seemed like it kind of fell flat. Like, the girls, the Every Outfit podcast girls that always talk about this show, like, there's so many missed opportunities and there's so many things that fall flat. Like, if you're going to have Sam Smith on the show, like, at least have it be some, like, at least a small part of the story. Because, like, realistically, they didn't really even need to have Sam Smith on camera. They could have just been, like, Charlotte could have just been, like, oh, I'm selling Sam Smith a painting and, like, name drop him. And, like, that almost would have been equivalent. I don't know. It's just, like, I don't even know if he had any dialogue or they. I think Sam Smith goes by they. It's just another interesting thing. Like, there's such, like, an emphasis on nine binary characters in and just like that. Like, I know that they had the trans rabbi in the first season. But I don't know. It just seems like if you're in, I mean, I don't live in New York, but, like, in Los Angeles, like, there is, like, obviously a ton of gay people. Like, gay is everywhere. It's pretty much just as, you know, almost, like, on equal levels as straight here. It's, like, 50-50. But then, like, if anything, I'd say there's far more trans people I've met versus non-binary. Like, non-binary is... I know it's, like, new and in the conversation of today, but, like, it's just maybe not as common as they're making it seem. I don't know. It just seems very heavy-handed with the non-binary characters whatever so sam smith does nothing great and now we're going to the girls at lunch this vegan lunch and like it's just a reminder how we barely get any scenes of the three main girls together but who even is the fucking three main girls at this point i don't even know but like ugh, it's just like i wish it was just like miranda charlotte and carrie i mean obviously i wish samantha was there but like oh the direction this show has taken and like it really shows how not interesting this sorry my cat was playing with this fucking cellophane ball thing but okay it's just crazy how like ugh, the reminder of this show and where it's gone like i don't know like they just keep talking about these like zucchini chips at the at the restaurant that they're at it's like shut the fuck up about these chips like we don't care i don't know it's just like such odd choice of dialogue and like it's not furthering the plot like is that supposed to be a joke like was that improv like why are they talking about zucchini chips like where is samantha like samantha would be like making like inappropriate puns about dicks or 
you know, something non-PC. And it's just like, oh, that's right. She's not in this episode. She's only going to be in the next episode for a 75-second cameo that we'll get to when we get to it. Oh, but yeah, there's like this whole little bit about like LTW's pregnancy. And I just like could not care less about it. And I just like was very confused by it. And like, then I was like, oh, wait. And I stopped and thought about it for a second. And it occurred to me, how the fuck old is LTW supposed to be if she's getting pregnant? Like, huh? Like, so Nicole Ari Parker, the actress that plays LTW, is 52. And like, she looks amazing, but I assumed she was. 50 on the show or like you know playing her age basically so if she's getting whoopsie daisy pregnant like that means she's got to be oldest 45 but even that seems to be pushing it like who is getting accidentally pregnant at 45 it just seems far-fetched however like they have that writer's room rule that anything that happens in the script has to have happened to a writer so i'm assuming one of the writers accidentally got pregnant in their 40s i can't confirm this i'm just speculating but maybe they say it in the writer's room podcast but that just seems crazy like is that happening and like if so what is the purpose for just like older women to watch this show and be like oh yeah that happened to me i got accidentally pregnant in my mid 40s like okay i mean i guess it's just to illustrate it on the show but i don't know it just like it's a very unclear point as to what they're trying to make with this. And yeah, I guess it's like because she's coming out with this documentary series and like it's going to be a struggle to do that. I, I don't know. Again, just not quite sure. I feel like it's like they just needed to give her something and this was the best they came up with. Whatever. We're moving on from that. We go to Anthony and Giuseppe, who I'm actually kind of into. Like I for sure ship this couple. Like as far as extra characters we kind of have a hatred for all of them and and just like that when they come on because they've taken away so much time from the girls that we actually care about however with anthony and giuseppe or specifically giuseppe i really don't mind it because he's just like cute and funny and reminds me of like all the boyfriends of the week that used to be on the original old school sex in the city so yeah i mean it's fun and like it's just, uh, so then they start talking about how Anthony's apparently never bottomed. And then he's like, I'm not the woman. And it's like, oh my God. Okay. Like, that's an interesting message to put out. Like, what? But then they kind of backpedal and he, like, clarifies, like, oh, it's because, like, gay men of my generation are much more rigid about the roles and everything. And there actually is truth to that. Like, I have noticed that, like, there's a lot of inner internalized homophobia or not a lot but it's more common for there to be that in like gen x gays or just older gays because it's kind of like it's like they obviously have come around to being gay but they still have some like issues that they have within themselves that they can't like fully you know be vulnerable and things like that and like it is a thing so i guess they just kind of wanted to bring that into the storyline and i mean it kind of works i don't know i guess just in comparison to everything else it works and I think it's ultimately just a metaphor for like oh like Anthony's not willing to like fully let his wall down aka like take it in the ass so that's kind of where they were going with that and then like later you hear Harry talk about like uh Anthony's like ass cherry or something I don't know it made me like squirm but that's later I think that's the next episode Oh, anyway. Oh, well, I mean, Anthony's ass looks great, though. He, like, gets up and goes to the bathroom, and, like, 
Yeah, I wonder if that was a double. I don't know. I don't think it was. But then we go from that sex scene to another sex scene of Seema and her, like, rich director man that we don't really know much about him, but they're fucking, and they both say, I love you, and she looks startled by it, but that's just kind of it. I don't know. This whole, like, I'll go on and on about how rushed I feel like this love story is between Seema and this man, but whatever. Seema's never found love, so I guess this is it. She's just, like, decided, but okay. Then off from that sex scene to Carrie in her now old apartment that she's like gifted to Lizette, apparently. I don't really know, but um, she got it for a steel price that Seema's like pretty upset about, you can tell. But who knows? Maybe she gave it to her for like 100K or some like we know Carrie's really not the best with money, so. Yep, it's Lizette's apartment now, and then, like, Seema's going on to Carrie about, like, oh, God, I shouldn't have said I love you, this, this, that, and then she, like, tells Carrie about the sex, and Carrie's like, no talking about sex while I'm eating my sushi, and it's just, like, for Carrie, I feel like this is a kind of a runner throughout the series now, is that, like, Carrie's just grossed out by other people's sex lives, I don't know, I just think it's odd that Carrie just, like, never wants to hear about anyone else's sex, even though she was, like, the 90s sex calmness, and she just, like, vocalizes time and time again how basically repulsed she is. Like, <laughs> like when Miranda was going to put on, or, like, talked about the strap-on, I think. Like, was that this season? I think so. Oh, God, it's all just such a blur. But Carrie was basically like, oh, God, like gagging on the phone. Like, don't tell me about that. Which, like, okay, fair. Like, that's a pretty scary visual. But, like, come on. Like, aren't you supposed to be, like, I mean, she used to be, like, into this stuff. Like, for material, for her writing, right? Who knows? She doesn't want to hear about the sex. Whatever. On from that to Naya. I think that's, like, Miranda and Naya. Oh, so, like, Naya goes online and her ex-husband has included her on the baby registry for him and his new like dumb bitch girlfriend baby that they're having and honestly that's such a savage move like come on like putting her in the baby registry like when they themselves were like struggling to have a baby or she like couldn't get pregnant or she didn't want one or whatever but it's like I don't know like that just seems like really harsh and then she's like you know what I'm gonna do I'm gonna buy that bitch a stroller and it's gonna be this big fancy stroller and anytime she uses it she's gonna be like ha like the ex-wife of my baby daddy bought me that stroller and it's like wait I don't know I just feel it's weird like and she's like flexing about being a professor and it's like okay being a teacher is not being a doctor like do you really have the money to buy that who knows maybe Naya has like an OnlyFans or something but it just seems so far-fetched like can she afford that whatever uh, as far as I knew teachers are like the most underpaid people in America yikes okay that scene's over then oh god buckle up for another chase stand-up bit so chase doing this stand-up that they told that other non-binary person toby that they were going to do to like impress them i guess and oh wait no this isn't the stand-up part yet this is just che watching their old stand-up back from when they were cheryl not che and guess what they're still not funny it's still bad so Che was just always just a bad, unfunny stand-up. 
it just this really made it even more clear to me that like I feel like Sara Ramirez has to be writing some of these jokes for the, like the Che jokes and the, now these Cheryl jokes because I swear MPK is capable of better like these are not jokes like they're not funny like who laughed at that who approved that like this feels like these are just like filler jokes that they were like placeholders before they added in the real jokes it's just insane to me like no one would find this funny like run this past any comedian and they'll be like no that's like super generic material like the Cheryl joke she's like ladies I'm hungry like I can't eat because like girls have to be skinny right to like go on dates and it's like huh like it's not even like a funny Joan Rivers anorexia joke it's like basically the equivalent to like a cringe knock knock joke like come on like you're kidding like that is the best you could do mind-blowing absolutely mind-blowing oh maybe not as mind-blowing as what happens next because next is when Carrie sits down with Anthony basically to I guess this the point of this scene is to just tie up any loose ends with Stanford because unfortunately we know oh uh Willie Garson the character who played Stanford is no longer with us so like it's got it's I mean you gotta it's gotta be clunky no matter which way you slice it because they don't have the ability to finish this character out properly but the way they did it was especially shocking because Carrie reveals to Anthony that Stanford is staying in Tokyo forever because he is now a Shinto monk I don't know what a Shinto monk is they kind of say what it does but it doesn't sound very gay, and it also sounds like nothing Stanford would ever take part in. So, fuck this. Like, oh my god. It's almost as if, like, it's, like, them pranking us as an audience, and then, like, Carrie's gonna be like, just kidding, he's not a Shinto monk. Like, this is what really happened. But no, she sticks by that, and they show, like, this bad Photoshop photo of Stanford as a monk. But then Anthony's like, oh, like, nice Photoshop. But it's kind of like... Uh, that is Photoshop, obviously. So it was kind of like an odd joke because that's not a real photo because there's no way that could have been a real photo. <sighs> okay, so then like, yeah, he's just a monk in Tokyo and that's the end of Stanny. Oh, poor Stanny. Like, come on. Like, what an injustice. Like, God, for him to end that way, just nothing that we would have wanted. Again, like, that just seems like a placeholder, like a dumb joke that the writers were like, oh, like, we'll say Stanford's going to be a monk, and then we'll get around to what he is actually going to be later. But nope, they went with that. Oh, I really lost my mind during that scene. It just seems incomprehensible. But that is, that is the reality of it all. Okay, and then cut to Charlotte. She sells the painting to Sam Smith and all her gallerina like fashion girlies in the gallery are like, oh, like we need to go out and get drunk. And she's like, no, I have family. And then they're like, okay, like, no, it's a ritual. And like, that's all they needed to say for Charlotte to be like, fuck it. Like, let's black out. So she does. She like goes to the bar and like takes shots and like gets blacked out. But like, honestly, it's about time. Like, I really like love this for Charlotte. Love that she's getting drunk as opposed to, like, buying Lily condoms. Like, that was just so upsetting. Like, this is, this was good. Like, I'll say, like, this storyline and, like, the way this played out is what I would have liked to see more of on the show. But, yeah, that was actually, like, pretty funny and good. Like, justice for Charlotte, for sure, with this little bit. 
Okay, now we are at the comedy show with Che, and it is atrocious. I mean, everyone at this show is a nightmare. I, I guess it's like a non-binary show, and I'm not saying that to like, you know, knock non-binary people, but like, it's just the way this show presents them. It's almost as if like, I mean, they're definitely not doing this intentionally, but they are like presenting non-binary people in this like non-palatable, like kind of offensive like way that, oh, like they're all just like super raunchy and not funny. I don't know. It's just like a really weird take and a really weird choice. But, um, so Che gets on stage, Toby, that love interest now, I guess, is there. And unknowingly to Che, Miranda is also there with, uh, Carrie and Aiden. Ugh, poor Aiden getting dragged to this. But, um, yeah, not only is Che's comedy unfunny this time, but it's also wildly offensive towards Miranda and super aggressive. It's just basically being like, this bitch was a mess. Like, she had family and too much baggage. Like, I didn't know why I was fucking her. Like, yuck. And then she's like, she just looked at this joke really stood out to me. Che's like, it's like they just took out the LGBTQ menu and were like, I'll take queer, a side of bi, and hold the mayo. Like, is that even a joke? (laughs) It's like, Oh my god, it hurts me to even repeat it, but that was, like, a punchline. And then Miranda's like, ah, fuck this, and, like, gets in a heated, like, fury and, like, shakes out of the room and is like, I can't do this, Carrie. And then Che, like, ends their bit early to, like, run after Miranda. It's just a disaster. And then, like, on one hand, I felt bad for Miranda because it was, like, brutal, but then it's like, what did you expect? Like, that's kind of what comedians do, and it's fucking Che. So... Yeah, there you go. But I mean, at least uh, Miranda had the balls to be like, that wasn't funny, because she's right. It certainly was not. Oh, it was a disaster. And then, like, I think a few other little things happened, but, like, cut to the important part. Carrie and Aiden leave that horrible comedy concert and go to... By the way, I don't call them comedy concerts. I'm saying that ironically because that's what they've been calling them on the show. I don't think anyone calls them comedy concerts. Whatever. Oh, Carrie and Aiden in bed, and Aiden gets yet another fucking call from this little bitch Wyatt that, like, complaining about, like, his mom. I don't know. Oh, no, this time he's saying it wasn't Wyatt. It was about Wyatt, and that Wyatt has been in an accident. Oh, God, and he's got to go back to Virginia. And so that happens, and then it's, like, the next day, um is Carrie on the phone with Seema she's on oh no she's on the phone with Miranda and she's like you're coming to my last supper even if Che's there and Miranda's like oh fine and then immediately Aiden calls and this is where Aiden has just the meltdown of all meltdowns I guess Wyatt's crash was worse than they thought he like broke multiple limbs whatever and Aiden's meltdown is so intense and dramatic it's kind of on the same scale of like the way Nomi Malone dances in Showgirls and no one else is dancing like that or behaving that way. Like Nomi was at a 10, everyone else was at a five, like Aiden is at a 10 and no one else is at that level. It's just the most overwhelming, like sobbing, like shaking, like wailing. And it's just like, what? Like, did it need to be that intense? Like, he must have been directed that way, or maybe it was, like, his personal choice. I don't know. It reminds me of, like, if you've ever seen if something, when uh, the movie uh, Something's Gotta Give with Diane Keaton and Jack Nicholson, the uh, 
Nancy Myers movie where Diane Keaton, there's like a montage scene of her just like sobbing for like a week. And it's like these comedic, dramatic sobs. And it works great in that movie because it's a comedy bit, but this was certainly not a comedy bit with Aiden. It just felt wild. And I honestly was kind of uncomfortable watching it. I was like, oh no, what? Because it just like didn't feel like a natural progression. It was just out of nowhere he was sobbing. Like, okay. And the then it ends and carries in just like that of the episode is. And just like that, I was worried. What? Like, what a vague, bizarre, like, just worried when, Carrie? Like, just worried for the first time in your life? Or just, I mean, I think what they meant was she was worried for the first time in this, like, new go-around with Aiden. But I don't know. It just wasn't very clear, but... I guess it, you can't really be that clear in that dialogue. I don't know. It just felt like a weird choice. But then again, a lot of choices on the show are bizarre. And a lot of the and just like that's at the end of the episode are bizarre. So, oh, what are we to expect? What are we to expect? And that was part one, the appetizer of the finale. And now we get into the finale, the finale. It, what is this one called? Entree? I didn't even look. I assume so, something like that, whatever. This one starts off with Carrie walking into her apartment and the little kitty that Che had once rescued and I guess now Carrie has permanently is now in her apartment and then she gets a phone call from who else but the queen, the missing the missing ingredient to this show is finally present Samantha Jones. Samantha Jones calls and we see Kim Cattrall. I mean, I don't know what I was expecting because this is what I was told would happen is that we were just going to get this tiny, short little cameo of Kim Cattrall, you know, on the phone, in the car. I knew it was going to be with Carrie because that's something that SJP did confirm that she was in the scene, even though they're not in the scene together. But it was just weird because, I mean, it was great to see Samantha. Like, she was funny. Like, there's an Annabelle Bronstein joke. Like, appreciate that deep cut. Like, it was as funny as it could have been for this show. But it was also just kind of like a bittersweet, sad reminder of like, oh, this is what's been missing. And like, this is what feels like home. Like, they were even playing like music from, I think, like the first film. It's kind of the music that ever plays on this show or always plays on this show when Samantha's mentioned. It's like kind of like the sexy OG Sex in the City music. But yeah, it was just like ugh, sad to see that that's all we're going to get of Miss Samantha Jones. I mean, but then again, like maybe that's all we should have gotten because God only knows what the fuck they would have done to Samantha on this show. Who knows what they'd warp Samantha's character to in the woke drivenness of this series. I mean, it probably is for the best. Oh, oh, and then here is where there's a scene with Harry and he says, talks about Anthony's ass virginity. Oh, I think I thought it was ass cherry, but he says ass virginity. I mean, whatever. Like, I just, it's kind of just freaks me out to hear Harry saying that. And then, but then it's nice because Charlotte puts Harry and the kids in their place and is just talking about like how like she's a person and wants to be more than just a mother and I don't know it's kind of what we all or at least I was really wanting 
for Charlotte throughout this series. And like, I don't know, I just feel like it took a really long time to get here though, but it is nice that it's like, okay, finally it's like, like uh, justice is being served in a sense or just like the karma, like this is what we've been wanting for Charlotte and she's finally getting it. So we love that. Oh, what else? Uh, oh, cut to Steve and Miranda. Oh, they're, this scene is actually like really sweet. It's like them in front of Steve's new restaurant and it's just like a peaceful thing. And it's not a particularly funny scene, but uh, it's just nice to see some good genuine banter between Miranda and Steve. It just felt like the OG series. It was comforting, it was familiar, and it just made me miss them as a couple. Not that I really want them to get back together at this point, but, you know, it's just, like, the dynamic between them is what we loved so much in the original series, and, like, there's, like, a taste of that in this scene, so that's nice. And then you see, like, big dumb Brady smirking in the distance, like, looking at the two of them getting along, and he's, like, happy. And that's all we need. We didn't need Brady to say anything, and he doesn't, so that's nice. And then we switch to something happening with Naya. I don't really don't care. It's like her meeting with this other professor or like a colleague, someone she works for. I can't quite comprehend what's happening in this scene. Something about her getting like promoted or like elected into some prestigious can, I don't know. Like it's something good. It's good news for her in the workplace is basically the message here that's happening. And then that ends, and then this, here, here's where I really got going. Then Naya goes home to where Miranda's waiting for her, or not waiting for her, but she's, you know, living with her. So they're there, or Miranda's there, and Naya shares this good news with Miranda, but then that good news quickly turns into sadness because she realizes that she has no man to share this with. And it's like, okay, this is just where I fully lost it. Because what? Like... This show that I brought up before is all about what they think is, quote-unquote, correcting the, like, problematic things of the original series, or at least what I think Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker found problematic with the original Sex and the City. And they're trying to correct those things by, like, retelling certain points in this show. And, but the things that they've been correcting or trying to correct with this ultra-wokeness just didn't need to be corrected. They, they weren't actually problematic. In my opinion, the most problematic thing about the original Sex and the City was the rhetoric of how if you are single and if you don't have a man, like, you're a loser and your life is meaningless. And if anything, that is something that could have easily been corrected in and just like that. But no, they completely stick to that rhetoric and everyone in this show has to be coupled up apparently because it's like oh Naya just can't be happy unless she has a man like she easily could have remained single and like they could have told that story of how she's like single and fabulous and you know she's not also not that old apparently she's like in her 30s I also realized got a lot of like age realization so this actress that plays Naya is only 37 in real life but they really didn't make it seem like that there was that big of an age gap between her and the other girls, but apparently there is. But she also can't apparently be happy unless she has a man, is what she's establishing here. And we find out soon that, yeah, she, she does need a man when she finds one, so good for her. But again, just very odd messaging to be sending out to everyone. Like, they could have at least had one person remain single. Literally no one remains single, I don't think. I don't know. It's, I guess Lizette, but like, oh, also side note, Lizette's amount of screen time 
is what I wish every new character's amount of screen time was. Like, you get a taste of a new person, they come in and out, like, they don't say too much. Like, we just want to focus on the main girls. Like, why can't we have just done that? Like, I know we're already, like, at the end of season two, and I'm still complaining about why the format's different and how we miss the old formula and how, like, the main characters aren't really the main characters anymore. But, uh, I just, I don't know if I'll ever come to peace with it. It's just crazy. Oh, yeah. So that, yeah, just the agenda they're pushing on that you really need a man to be happy. I mean, it's just not, just really not a very progressive modern message, I don't think. And like, I don't know, I just, it's very interesting that that's the route they took. So now we're at the, um, the dinner party, the last supper that's being held in what's now Carrie's old apartment that Lizette lives in. But they're doing it there, and immediately upon when Miranda and Naya walk in, oh, there's this hot chef that Naya's instantly horny for, and she's like, ooh, and it's just so obvious that this is a setup and that this will now be Naya's new love interest moving forward. And it is. Spoiler alert. They get together by the end of the episode, and it seems like he'll be going on to the, into the season three that's apparently happening. Oh my god, I could just scream. But I also, like, you know I'm just going to be soaking it all up the moment it airs. Just such an interesting thing, this show. It truly, truly is. Okay, we're at the dinner party. LTW's revealed she's miscarried. I don't know exactly when that happened or it happened. But again, it just makes you think, like, what was the point of that? Is that then also for women of that age to relate to? Like, oh yes, I got, like... I had almost had like an oops baby, but then miscarried when I was like in my mid forties. Like, okay, like, is that the significance of that? So like women can connect. I think, I think that's what they were going for, but it just came and went so quickly. It just didn't have very high stakes and was very anticlimactic. I don't know. It just kind of, it didn't necessarily leave me wanting more, but just left me confused. And I, I feel like other people were probably left feeling that way too. And then Che at the dinner party turns to Lizette and says, I'm transitioning really quick. And I was like, whoa, wait, what? Che's trans now? But then quickly they're like, oh no, I'm uh, transitioning emotionally. And it's like, okay, that's just like such a fucking Che thing to say. And then like Bobby Lee is there and his wife Smoke that like tried to have Carrie wear that awful Met Gala dress. It was like, why are you here? Like we forgot about you. No one cares. It was just, I don't know, maybe they needed to fill the table, but it's like, okay, maybe they can be there, but do we really need to hear them speak? It just, it's just whatever. I just can't. And then like Che apologizes to Miranda about the jokes. Oh, but then also defends that they were funny. And Miranda's like, no, they weren't funny. And Che's like, okay, well, agree to disagree. And it's like, this just further convinces me that Sara Ramirez has to be writing some of Che's dialogue and is like doubling down on these bad jokes just like they are IRL it's just crazy like they weren't funny Che they weren't funny oh I hate Che okay and then Giuseppe basically threatens to move back to Rome if Anthony doesn't give up that ass which is kind of funny and like those are higher stakes. Again, like, Giuseppe is just, like, a good, like, because I feel like a lot of the characters on the old show were kind of campy and had kind of, like, aggressively wacky dialogue to make them, you know, exciting and interesting. Like, 
do you think of all of the men of the week like I don't know for some reason I'm just thinking of like the one guy Samantha goes home with that like insults her age and then he like ties himself up in the closet and all this bondage gear oh the freak show is that episode where they're just kind of like exemplifying like how fucking out there and weird guys can be and not that Giuseppe's freaky and weird in that sense but I just feel like they're writing they're writing well for him which I don't think they are for the other people so I don't know why that is but yeah it's just like funny that that's his threat essentially and then Harry makes like a joke about uh oh because Giuseppe's like you know the writing game here it's just there's a wall I can't break through like ooh, what's the word and Harry's like oh impenetrable like oh lol a penetration joke which I mean I didn't like lol at it while watching it but it just felt like some old school dialogue from the original Sex in the City so I enjoy enjoyed that and respected that line and then Seema, so it's just like this party is just like a bunch of like mingling, wrapping up storylines and shit. And it's just like, I mean, I don't hate it, but it's just like there's so much to wrap up because there are so many fucking characters. It just is kind of makes your head spin, makes you go dizzy. But Seema runs off with her little director man and she's like, I said I love you. And like now this is like feeling, I don't know. And like they keep talking about the Sphinx because like apparently that's an an element or a filming location in his movie and she's like the sphinx like can't you just make a new one and film here like huh i don't know because he's like i need to go to egypt whatever it just this whole love storyline feels very rushed and i feel like it's because they wanted Seema to like find a love interest in a man which again yeah just like naya like you know Seema could have remained single and fabulous and told that great story but no she like she'd be a loser if she did that so she has to have a man I just, like, sigh. I just, okay, so that's that. And then uh, Giuseppe kind of, like, rescinds the Rome threat pretty quick. And he says this great line. He's like, it's not about your ass wall. It's about your other walls. Which, like, again, like, it's just so stupid. But at least that's, like, a fun, silly line that I actually, like, did kind of laugh at. And then they just, like, make out in front of the bathroom, Anthony and Giuseppe, for, like, the rest until dinner or whatever. Oh, and then we discover that Carrie has named a little cat that she now owns. She named the cat Shoe, which, I mean, I, I, I have to admit, I'm just kind of hating on everything in this show, but, like, no, I can't hate on that. Like, that is a very Carrie thing. She would name her fucking cat Shoe. And then she's like, it's a dual meeting. It can mean, like, Shoe, go away, or, like, Shoe, get away from my shoe. Like, that is a very, like, Carrie dialogue, just, like, puns and like silliness and it's like kind of cringe but like endearing in a carry way so like great you have a cat named Shu now Shu is the star of the episode honestly like she was the only one not really pissing me off with everything that happens the dinner happens Naya's giving like sex eyes to the chef that she's now in love with after like 20 minutes and she's like "Ooh, that just exploded in my mouth when she's like trying a bite of his uh you know gourmet food and uh it's just funny to that line like it was a good line but it doesn't necessarily fit the character I don't think like they just kind of I've noticed in the new characters they'll like uh submit some like Samantha elements usually it's with Seema but I guess sometimes with with Naya and then like rarely with LTW they have like elements of 
like there's some Samantha coding to them because Samantha was such a key ingredient to the show that like somebody has to give off that energy so they kind of just try it out with different people and in this moment they're trying it out with Naya having an olive exploding in her mouth seductively while she's like eye-fucking the Michelin-level chef. Okay, and uh, yeah, Seema confronts the director man whatever i think we already talked about that it's just like this forced love agenda it all just seems very rushed whatever like don't care about them too much carrie gives a toast to every the table and she's like we're all gonna go around and give one word responses on things we want to let go because she's letting go of her apartment and i didn't really give a fuck about any what anyone said here except for charlotte because she said she was uh letting go of limits and that was actually like really nice I feel like like I kind of teared up listening I mean I wouldn't go that far but like I felt like a little bit of emotion because yeah I felt like Charlotte was so limited not only this season but the first season too and it's like I've always respected the character in and just like that of Charlotte because she's the truest to the original series like she really didn't change much like we know Miranda did and also very much Carrie did so it was nice that she was consistent and yeah like I don't want limits for Charlotte we want more I want more drunk Charlotte like that was fun oh so that was nice oh and then Carrie's the word she's giving up is expectations and this I couldn't help but wonder if this was like a nod to the audience like you need to give up your expectations like our expectations of this show and just like that and like wanting it to be truer to the original series when it so obviously isn't she's kind of like give it up losers like and just like that's always going to be a nightmare like you need to stop like raising your expectations thinking it's going to be as good because it's not but we find out later that's really not what the nod was but I don't know maybe a part of that was like kind of coded in there but whatever Carrie says she's getting rid of expectations and um the dinner party ends and then after everyone goes home there's some other like random bullshit that happens it's just it's all again kind of rushed it's yeah like there's so many characters and there's so many storylines it's like I don't know like are soap operas like this where there's just so much going on that they need to cover well again it's so different from how sex in the city was that it's like it just throws you for a loop it's like oh wait we're back to this person and now this person what's happening okay but after all that and the dinner party ends goes back to Carrie Aiden throws pebbles at her window kind of yeah a throwback to how that used to happen pretty frequently he finally comes up into the apartment that he so adamantly said he would never come into again so there's definitely a reason why and we're about to find out what it is he sits Carrie down he's like I don't have my luggage like we need to chat and she's like oh fuck what's up and we knew a version of something like this was coming. Of course, sissy Wyatt, whatever, closeted gay son is to blame. And he's like, I can't leave him. Like, this is serious. Like, he took shrooms. And it's like, okay, what? Like, of all drugs they're going to bring up, he took shrooms. First of all, the fact that they're like, oh, he took, dr I don't know. It's just weird. It's like, that's not that serious of a drug. And, like, people watching this show know that. Like, shrooms at this point is almost equivalent to like smoking weed like if they really wanted to make it seem serious they should have said like why it was hitting the crack pipe or like you know doing 
meth, like doing the ice, smoking ice, or I don't know, what do you do? I don't know what it's called, but it's like they needed to, you know, raise the stakes a little bit to make it seem more scary. Like just doing shrooms and like, I don't know, whatever, but like he has to be home for Wyatt. And this scene doesn't play out poetically or smoothly at all. It's basically being like, Carrie, Carrie's like, so wait, like, I'll do this. Like, you'll come here a week? And he's like, no. And she's like, oh, so maybe, like, I'll go there. And he's like, no. And she's like, wait, so, like, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, here's what's happening. I need to go down there. I don't really know when I'm going to see you. But, like, we kind of need to put this relationship on pause until, I don't know. And Carrie's like, until when you don't know he's like until Wyatt is out of his teens and she's like uh what that's six years from now he's like well actually five because like he's his birthday soon and she's like okay so that's five years from now and he's like yeah like it's no big deal like five years will go by like that and like snaps but then she's like wait you didn't snap and he's like well that's how fast it'll go by and it's like what and at first she's like getting really upset but then she's like kind of okay with it and it's like, okay, wait, so you both just agreed that you're, like, maybe not going to see each other at all for the next five years, and that's fine? It just seemed so anticlimactic, and, like, it made me think, like, in contrast to when uh, the finale of the original series, when she's in Paris and is, like, gets in the argument with the Russian, and she has, like, this big monologue about how she's looking for love, like, can't live without each other love, and, like, that felt so exciting and like the tension was built and like it was like a true drama whereas this just fell so flat and felt like nothing and just again like left us all confused like huh so like is this a problem or are they just okay with this but I guess they're okay with it because then it transitioned into this like weird sex montage like Seam is having sex and then like Carrie and Aiden are having sex and like LTW's not having sex and then like Naya invites in the chef so it's like as we thought like oh now she does have love because no woman can be happy without it so that happens and then it's like a weird song playing oh and then Anthony's having sex with Giuseppe and you know what that was the only sex scene that I enjoyed because there was a comedic element to it of Giuseppe thrusting into Anthony and him like in pain but in like a funny way and it was like okay those like comedic sex scenes we really didn't get in and just like that and there were so many of them in sex in the city throughout all the girls characters so oh yeah it's just like everyone's coupled off now even che and that fucking toby person that we just met because like again everyone needs a partner oh so whatever carrie's like okay and like kisses aiden goodbye and she's like you know what no matter what none of this was a mistake, meaning, like, starting back up with Aiden or buying this, like, $50 million Gramercy Park apartment that she's walking around in that's, like, still empty. And she's like, ta-ta for the next five years, I guess. And, like, that's it. There's, like, no tears. There's no whatever. He just walks off, and she doesn't seem upset. Seema calls her and is like, girl, your man's gone. My man's gone. Like, we need to go to the beach. And Carrie's like, ugh, I don't want to go to the Hamptons. And then she's like, no, girl, not that beach. And then it cuts to them in what appears to be this tropical beach. And we find out it's Mykonos. And it's like, okay, wait. So Carrie, like, didn't want to go to the Hamptons, which is, like, a drive away. Yet she's down to fly to Europe. Like, I, nothing about this show makes sense. 
So then they're in Mykonos. They talked about something that, like, I don't know. I think I was just so thrown by the change in scenery. I can't even really pay attention to it. But then Carrie's like, oh, I need to order more drinks. And then she speaks Greek to the guy and orders two more drinks. And this series, not the series, this season finishes with, and just like that, I ordered two more Cosmopolitans. Sure. Sure she did. Great. And now we wait for season three because apparently that's happening. I will say, like, even though this show, had this been the series series finale, I would have thought it's, like, wildly underwhelming, especially with the way things ended with Carrie and Aiden. But I guess it, it could have ended there, I think. But, like, I don't know. Like, it's just so shocking to me. I heard apparently that in one of the writers' podcasts that Michael Patrick King was horribly depressed over how negatively received the second film, Sex in the City, was received. And it's like, okay, wait, if you were so depressed and upset with that backlash, which in comparison to and Just Like That was nothing, like that was child's play criticism to, compared to the amount of hate this show's getting. So now, like, you've done two seasons and you're, like, ready to do a season three? Like, have they read any of the critiques or are they just fully ignoring it? Wild. Absolutely gobsmacked. I just cannot believe it. But that brings us to an end of this season of End Just Like That. The finale also brings us to an end of this episode of Girl Blogger. I hope that, you know, I articulated some things that you guys were feeling. Feel free to message me about how much you hate this show or how much you love it. If you're just in total disagreement with everything and you're like, actually, this show's amazing and you're wrong. I would love to hear that opinion as well. But, all right, for now, bye, bitches. Mm-hmm.